Hello and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who are looking to fully engage in the world, thrive, keep their health intact, um, and not lose their marbles in a world that's not exactly built for highly sensitive folks like us. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about how to cope with unexpected changes. Uh, I, if you're following my blog at all, I recently wrote an article on expectations and how, I mean, I suppose, you know, a lot of people say money is the root of all evil, and I would actually argue against that and say, oh, no, no, <laughs> expectations are. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what I, I really want to talk a bit about how expectations impact us and why it is that in moving away from expectations, we can actually improve our health in very tangible ways. So first of all, let me actually go into what I mean by expectations and how this even gets into the realm of health at all. Uh, so I, I saw this equation recently and I loved it. So it's called, you know, in terms of happiness, uh, happiness equals reality minus expectations. So just to give you an example, I, I, when I talk to my grandmother, my grandmother's over 90 years old, she is probably one of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, she's just always radiating with contentment, even when she's grouchy. Um, and this is a woman who has survived the Great Depression. She uh, was, you know, she had come of age right during World War II. Uh, she saw the, the rise of wealth in the United States in the 50s and saw the turmoil of the 60s and 70s and saw the radical changes of the 80s. <laughs> she was here for Clinton in the 90s, uh, for Bush, for Obama. I mean, you want to talk about some massive changes. And through it all, she's always been able to maintain a zem- some semblance of joy. And when I asked her about how... <laughs> How do you do this? You know, she really said, Ilya, you have to understand when we were growing up, we, we didn't grow up to expect what your generation is told to expect. You know, I think you guys have been done a disservice. You've been told all your lives that you can be whatever you want to be, that you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. And to be honest, we weren't told that, or at least if we were, to, to the extent that we were, it was vastly different. I mean, I came... In the 1930s, everybody was sort of on the same page. Everybody was broke. And while that was hard, in some ways there was relief to it because it's not as though anyone was to blame personally. Whereas now I think there's some element of, well, if you're unhappy, that was your own damn fault. Uh, So I just thought that wisdom was really helpful and it got the juices flowing. Now, having said all of that, Of course I write a blog entry on how expectations can lead to unhappiness. And the very next day, (laughs) I'm not kidding, the next day, I actually got let go of one of my three jobs, and it was the job that carried the bulk of my income. So 60% of my income was just gone. And I was in a day. It wasn't just like, oh, here's your two weeks notice. It was, here's 24 hours notice. You can now expect to have 10% of your income coming from this income source. So I, I guess I should say I wasn't technically fired, but I was demoted such that 90% of my income 
was washed away. So it was, you know, in, in my experience, that was felt as a a gentle nudge out the door. So you can stay here if you want for 10% of the pay. So, and, and what was funny about that is just the day before, I was having a conversation with my beloved and had said to him, I don't know if this is sustainable. You know, he's working two jobs, I was working three, and it's just a lot of bandwidth. In terms of hours, I was fine. I mean, I wasn't stressed, nothing like that. It was just... My focus was so all over the place, and I had this sense of, wow, you know, I, oof, this is really, this is hard. This is hard to have so many hats going all at once. And then the very next day, it's sort of like, oof, be careful what you wish for. And while a part of me was sad, uh, frustrated, you know, that's a lot of uh, downsizing that I'd have to do, and, and, you know, but I'm okay, and I knew I was okay, there was some part of me that was excited, uh, a big part of me actually, because it's like, oh God, what a perfectly juicy thing to happen <laughs> right after I have this, you know, content about <laughs> expectations and how things can go out of whack. So, having said all of that, I'm now going to move into philosophy around expectations. I think there's a lot of people who, uh, I feel like people's philosophy around this stuff can help dictate how they respond to circumstances like this. So my mom, for example, is a staunch believer that everything happens for a reason. And that's always helped her in really tough spots. Like if if really challenging circumstances have arisen for her, every time they have, she's had this down-to-the-bone belief that, you know, it's okay. if It all happens for a reason. I've never really been able to subscribe to that fully. I like it. I like to believe there is an element of meaning in everything that's happening in my world. It's just that there's so much suffering in the world that seems unreasonable. I, I don't imagine that if I had, could transport myself into the 1930s, 1940, you know, early ni- late 1930s, early 1940s, and, and came face-to-face with a Holocaust survivor... I don't imagine that if I said to them, oh, buck up, you buckaroo, everything happens for a reason. There's nothing reasonable about that. Um, There are refugees in the present day who are suffering, and insensibly, and I cannot, for the life of me, fathom a reason for it. So, I think where I shifted gears instead, you know, instead of saying everything happens for a reason... I instead went into the realm of, well, everything happens exactly the way it was always going to. Because I've got evidence for that. I mean, everything that's happened in my life has happened exactly the way it was always going to. Whether that was fate or my choice or what have you, there wasn't any other way it was going to go. My evidence is that I'm here. (laughs) um, So yeah... Here I am. Here we all are. Every everybody at some point lands here in this space of uncertainty. So what I want to talk about today is what we can do about it. You know, we highly sensitive folks, we aren't exactly big fans of uncertainty. And yet we are fans, it seems, of digging deep, finding meaning. So this seems like such a great opportunity for all of that. Still, I have to eat every day. I have to do stuff every day. And this is stressful. This is challenging. 
what do we do as highly sensitive people whose nervous systems are more taxed even in the best of circumstances when things knock us off course? Well, I kind of want to break this down into multiple spheres. Like the first piece that I want to go into is actually the the three primary pieces of advice I was given in the context of, uh, of yoga, actually, the philosophy of yoga. Uh, in the text, in some ancient yogic texts, uh, what they often say about the process of healing is that it's really quite simple. It's really just three primary elements. Anytime you want to heal or move through a challenging circumstance, whatever that might happen to be, it boils down to doing the work watching yourself, and to the best of your ability, letting go of the outcome of both of those things. So what do I mean by do the work? Do the work can mean uh, going to therapy. It can mean doing the 12-step program in Alcoholics Anonymous. It can mean uh, meeting together with a weight management group and, and holding yourselves accountable. It can be uh, eating your Wheaties, <laughs> whatever, like, whatever it is that your work involves, you do the work. And that watch yourself piece is really just about observing what's going on as you do that. Like, for example, if I'm trying to lose weight and something kicks me off course and then I find myself in front of the refrigerator and I'm, you know, five bites into Ben and Jerry's before I realize, oh, oh, that, oh, oh, like, <laughs> This was all autopilot. I didn't even realize what I was doing, and already I've had I don't even know how many calories. It's it's not like I'm a bad person when I did that, but just observe it. It's like, whoa, that's a trip. How did that happen? Let's retrace my steps here. What what led to this? So it's that, it's that observing. It's that bringing awareness to. And maybe even taking a moment to say, hey, you know what? There was a time when it, I would have been all the way done with the pint before... I would have checked in and gone, whoa, what just happened? This time I was only five bites in. That's progress. So again, it's that observing, that bringing awareness in that seems to be extremely uh, powerful. And then that final one is per- is the most important. It's, you know, to the best of your ability, let go of the outcome. Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so that would be like if I'm trying to lose weight, you know, don't be attached to the outcome of weight loss, or if I'm trying to manage anxiety, don't be attached to the uh, you know, to, to my anxiety disorder going away, or you know whatever it is that I'm working on. Don't get attached to an outcome, because as soon as we get attached to an outcome, it's a bit like being attached to expectations or having expectations about how things should go. And uh, one of my favorite lines if it was actually from Sex in the City. Full disclosure: No, I am not ashamed. And it was something like, why are we shooting all over ourselves? And I thought it was perfect, because I can tell you, I've definitely shoulded all over myself in the past. So, if you're, so in essence then, healing is about be, getting clear. Getting clear, getting a clear perception of reality. Just like I said in the very beginning, you know, if happiness is reality minus expectations... In a sense, then, in order to be happy and by extension be healthy, because we tend to make really good decisions about our health when we're at our happiest and vice versa, uh, it's really about finding a way to make reality and happiness closely aligned. If happiness, if we, if reality makes us happy, that's golden. We win. <laughs> so if happiness really does equal reality minus expectations, 
it's just, it would seem to make sense that happiness is really about being clear about what's really going on and removing our gobbledygook, uh, you know, taking that out of the way. And a lot of, and again, I'm using yoga here because it's been so powerful for me. You you can find a lot of this same stuff in many spiritual texts. You can find it in self-help books. I mean, it's often just the same stuff repackaged in new ways. But, so what are the obstacles of clear perception then? Like, if I'm, if happiness is reality minus expectations, how do I get the expectations out of the way? Like, what are, where do these expectations come from in the first place, in other words? Well, first is misapprehension. So, in other words, it's just, I have an assumption about what's going on out there, and it's not true. And umbrellaed underneath that are things like, False identity. So when I'm walking around in the world and I'm saying things like, I am my job, if I really firmly believed when I got that email yesterday, was it yesterday? My God knows, I think two days ago. Wow. Um, If I really believed that I am my job, when I got the email saying, hey, this has been fun, but bye, (laughs) like I, I would have fallen apart. I mean, I got the email and it wasn't pleasant, but I just remember looking at it and thinking, oh, well, that's inconvenient. Um, and so if, though, I had been attached to my identity as being an employee within the umbrella of that company, that would have been an example of misapprehension or, or just of no clarity. It would have been a huge expectation that I was putting on my future that would have dramatically impacted my happiness in using that original example. So another one, so a false identity is one version, um, excessive attachment. So excessive attachment, that can mean I'm attached to a thing. Um, It can mean anything from money, I'm attached to money, I'm attached to my house, I'm attached to my car. It can also mean attachment to my job, like I'm attached. it often comes up in the form of compulsive consumption. So often when it, we're talking about attachment, it's like a, a drug abuse. Like I'm constantly chasing something because I want that joy back so badly and I think that thing that's out there is going to give it to me. And then, of course, there's the opposite of that, which is unreasonable uh, detachment uh, or sort of like a avoidance. Avoidance would probably be a better word. So it's like I'm avoiding something like the plague. Like, ooh, I don't like that. So as an introvert, a perfect example of this would be, oh, God, I will avoid at all costs all networking opportunities. Well, that's dumb. I mean, currently I need more work. I, that's a reality. I, I, I have to do something. I have a plan in place. I have an emergency fund being the highly sensitive overthinking little bean that I am, I'm okay, I'm fine, but I do need to get on the ball here. I need to do some stuff. I need to promote myself more, perhaps, as, you know, because I do have private clients, or I need to get a part-time job, or something. I need to do something. And I don't want to do that stuff. I don't like networking. It's not fun for me. Some people are so good at it, and I love to watch people who are good at it. They're delightful. I I can do it, but oh, good grief, it sucks the life out of me. <laughs> and if I were unreasonably uh, avoiding, if I was in this avoidance state, I would say, well, I don't care what it is. I'm, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do it. And that sort of, it, it's 
not being clear about my reality. I'm, I'm avoiding something, running away from something. And then the final one is this sort of under the current uh, insecurity. So it could be fear. I think the the bottom line of it is really fear of death, if we're really honest. It's that unreasonable, gut-clenching fear that comes up whenever my identity is threatened, or my stuff is threatened, or my people are threatened. It's this sense that at at my heart of hearts, I, I believe I'm going to die. Which is honestly kind of silly to be afraid of because, well, yeah, we're, we're all going in that direction, like it or not. So these are examples of expectations that can come up, that can deplete our happiness. Whenever we're looking at the world in a way that is unclear, tampered with, Sort of like, okay, here we go. It's sort of like imagining. I'm, I'm walking around in this life with a, a story, a narrative. That story is sort of like putting on foggy glasses. So now I'm looking around the world, and as far as I can tell, everything is foggy. But everyone else around me is looking around and saying, no, 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 it's pretty clear. You just have really crappy glasses. That's what I mean by obstacles of perception. If Expectations are one example of a smudge that can be put on the lens that is my reality. All of that stuff's very esoteric and woo-woo, and I love that stuff, but that's not necessarily pragmatic. But I, I like sort of starting at this very broad overview stuff before going into the nitty-gritty. So, here I am. I had two, I had three jobs and a, a healthy income. Now I don't. I have two jobs and a less-than-healthy income. That's not zero, so that's something, but mm, I need more. That's just, these things are... Well, actually, even saying I need more isn't technically true, I guess. There's ways that I could downsize. So let's really get to the facts here. The fact is, I had three jobs. Now I have two jobs. I did not expect that to happen. So this is something that's thrown me off. I, I, my routine is now thoroughly discombobulated and thrown apart. What can I do in order to move forward? I mean, yes, I can apply for jobs. Yes, I'm going to need to do all of that stuff. But again, this is a podcast about health. So how do I take care of myself in the midst of something that's actually quite challenging? Well, what can I do? Number one, you have to remember, I am a foodie, a nutritionist, and a health coach. So naturally, I'm going to start with eating real food. Funny story. Uh, a lot of research says, suggests that those who eat a lot of vegetables tend to be happier. Now, that's sort of correlation. We don't know if it's causation. Maybe the kinds of people who are happy are more inclined to eat healthier food because they're happy, so you get where I'm going. Or maybe it's the healthy food that makes their bodies healthy and therefore sort of promotes happiness. I don't know which one it is. All I'm saying is people who eat their vegetables, they smile more. So what I've been doing for myself lately, I've been being very deliberate about eating healthy foods. And yes, there has been some overeating because, you know, just sue me. But I've made sure to arrange my environment so that most of the foods I'm eating are vegetables or fruits or are wholesome foods so that even when I'm stuffed and bloated, <laughs> I can have a little bit of satisfaction in knowing that I had food that was ultimately nourishing, even if the way I was going about it wasn't optimal. Next, what I can do, I can follow you know, guidelines that have often been given in the realm of positive psychology. So if any of you are familiar with positive psychology, 
a lot of the tips and tricks that are talked about with regard to how we can upgrade our happiness, they include gratitude. So in pragmatic terms, I'm not just saying be thankful for what you have. And I mean, that's great. But specifically, writing down three different things every day that you are grateful for could be small. I mean, I'm looking around the room right now. I'm grateful that I have a functioning laptop to be able to communicate with other people. I'm grateful for the water that's sitting on the desk. I'm grateful for the desk that's holding my laptop up. Three things. Bam. And then tomorrow I'd have to come up with three more things, which wouldn't be hard because I won the lottery of the year and I was born in the Bay Area of California in a place that's relatively safe. And so it's not that hard for me to come up with stuff to be grateful for. So gratitude journaling after, if you do that for 21 days, shows a significant improvement in happiness. Next up, journaling. Generally, journaling is much better if it's not just, I hate my life, I don't want to do it. I mean, all of that stuff is fine. If you want to vent and you need to get it out of your system, then, you know, fine, that's great. But if you really want to maximize the effectiveness of journaling, it also helps to swing it in such a way as to say, this sucks. Also, here's where the opportunity is. So don't just think, you know, journal about what's lousy in your life. Also look for opportunities. In what way is this an opportunity? My example here, this is an opportunity for me to use what bandwidth I was spending on this other job and now apply it into my private practice or I can look for jobs that perhaps are less stressful or are uh, more stable. Um, you know, I, I have to do something new and different. So this is an opportunity to grow. Exercise is the next one. Exercise, hands down, one of the best ways to improve your felt sense of happiness. So I have been a running fool, running, walking, biking, you name it. I really want to make sure that I stay moving because if I just sit still, I just sit stagnate in this goo. Random acts of kindness is another. And again, this is evidence-based. I'm not, this is not woo-woo stuff. These are very pragmatic guides that are given to people who want to maintain their sense of... Um, I don't know, sanity, so their sense of stability, their sense of joy. Uh, randomly doing something kind for another person knocks that happiness level right back up. Uh, and finally, meditation. Meditation is phenomenal because it helps build up the prefrontal cortex. And it's generally the prefrontal cortex is that's that reasonable voice within that's saying, hey, psst, it's fine. You're going to be fine. You need to do stuff now. Like, <laughs> just just get stuff done. It's, you're... And it's the amygdala that's busy going, no, the sky is falling. So anytime you meditate, you help give your whole being the tools that it needs to see clearly. Again, you're, you're helping to eliminate those obstacles of clear perception. And then another framework that I really love is uh, from Dan Siegel. And he talks about happiness uh, in terms of a healthy mind platter. So he goes over seven quote-unquote ingredients that are helpful. And some of these are repeats, but I just I love it so much I wanted to share it. So according to him, in order to be truly happy and healthy, in a mental, you know, mentally at least, we need sleep time. Oh, good God. I mean, I, I've definitely been very good about trying to get enough sleep because otherwise I would be losing my mind. Focus time. Focus time is actually work. So when you're engaged in work that you really love, you're focused. 
and it's great. Um, you know, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be focused on something that you love, but just being focused on a thing that, that really makes you have to, to be present to, to think. For most people, that's their job. Uh, time in. So that goes back to meditation, actually. It's just time to reflect, to really, to read. What, what are my thoughts? Downtime. So downtime is actually different than meditation. Downtime is when you're just staring off into space and daydreaming. And sort of going, ah, la, la, or, you know, watching grass grow or watching a cat sleep. Yes, I have my cat here, and naturally that ended up on the list. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next one is playtime. So anytime that you get to play, to laugh, to be giddy, to be silly, uh, that helps craft a healthy mind. Uh, connect time, time with people that you love. Many research, uh, much research that has been done around health, not just mind, you know, mental health, but also very much the physical realm of health. So like heart health has shown that those with strong connections, whether it's with family, with a community of friends, a spiritual community, consistently live significantly longer than those who are not connected. So connect time is important. There just isn't enough research yet to be to be sure about whether or not Facebook and the like counts. I can tell you personally, it doesn't really seem to do the trick for me. It's kind of helpful-ish, but it's not the same as me being in my mom's arms when she's hugging me or seeing my grandmother's face or holding my lover's hand. It, it's just not quite as good, but, you know, everyone's different. And then finally, physical time. So that goes right back to that exercise piece. So again, some of these are repeats, but I just, I, I wanted to sort of give you different frameworks for how all of this stuff ends up, oh, you, how you can use this stuff and different people who have validated these approaches. And also, when all of that fails, so just to sort of go right back to the beginning when I said that really anytime you're trying to heal or move through a tough spot, it's just three things. One, do the work. Two, watch yourself. Three, try and let go of the outcome. Well, for here, like in some of the practical tools that I've given today, that would be the example of doing the work. If I'm eating real food, if I'm writing three things down that I'm grateful for, if I'm randomly trying to give forth and be generous to others, if I'm meditating, all of this stuff, I'm doing the work. I'm making sure to take care of myself so that I can move forward with grace. That third one is about letting go of the outcome. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Watch yourself. So yeah, I can observe myself move through this process. So I'm doing the work, and occasionally I watch myself go a little bit, you know, haywire. I mentioned, for example, that I was overeating. Even though I was overeating vegetables, my bloated belly was still unhappy. So I sort of watched that and went, oh, okay, that's useful information. I probably should back off of the food. <laughs> um... It's also a question of watching how I'm moving through this process. There was a time in my life when this would have probably forced a number of anxiety attacks, panic attacks, what have you, and that didn't really happen in this case because I'm, I've set up systems so that I have plenty of time and a bit of space to figure out what my next move is. But that third one now, the best of your, to the best of your ability, let go of the outcome. That actually brings me into the realm, again, I, I want to make this pragmatic, so, research that's been done around happiness. It's actually kind of surprising research, to be honest. Uh, you know, Dan Gilbert, for example, did uh, a TED Talk on the science of happiness. And what he found to be the case is that no matter what happens in our lives, we seem to have a psychological immune system. 
So examples that he gives is of a member of the Beatles who actually was ousted and then later was uh, interviewed. And the gentleman said, you know, honestly, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me. And uh, a number of other people that he interviewed where, where things went badly. And five, ten years later, they were interviewed. Like, oh, God, you know, honestly, best thing that could have happened to me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine my life going any other way. And what Dan Gilbert calls this is manufactured happiness. Now, he, to be clear, he doesn't mean that they just made it up. They weren't actually happy. They're just faking it. What he means is that the brain, our brains, have the capacity to take a challenging situation and over the course of time, rebound rather quickly. We have resilience. The brain has resilience. And so if we can take that to be true, that no matter what happens, this immune system is going to kick in. In all likelihood, we're going to be just as happy as we were yesterday before whatever event it was that kicked us off course five years from now, despite the fact that this icky thing that's happened in the moment is here. So if that's true, talk about a phenomenal piece of information to help us let go of the outcome. Because the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. I may end up being, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of a job that I would really hate to do. Most of it involves being a highly extrovert. Maybe I'll have a job being a uh, cheerleader for networking in a big city. That I can't imagine a world where that would happen. But I mean, it, it honestly doesn't matter what outcome will it will evolve because my brain has an immune system built in. So if that's true, in all likelihood, regardless of the outcome. I'm going to bounce back. And this is true whether we're talking about the loss of a job, uh, the loss of a relationship, perhaps a relationship that's ending and falling apart. It can be the loss of a loved one. Uh, when I, I, I've had several deaths in my family, and they were extremely painful. And here I am today, and I'm okay. So with this job, I mean, this is such a... A job is... Let's be honest, it doesn't really compare to heartbreak or to death. But maybe for someone it does. Maybe for some of you out there, a shift like this would be enough to just knock you off. For me, I think it would be more um, uh, conflict. Conflict does it more to me. Conflict with a lover, conflict with a, a friend, a family member. That's the kind of stuff that just, oh, oh, I have no tolerance. So, yeah, I mean, letting go of the outcome, why, how, how do we do that? Well, I'd say the first bit of learning to do that is really just about remembering that you are going to be okay, regardless. So, when you're thinking about how to move through challenging situations, remember, maybe the reason that you're suffering, again, I'm not talking about pain, you know, it's painful to get an email saying you've been fired. It's painful to lose someone. It's painful to work through a relationship that's obviously ending. All of that stuff hurts. And I'm not saying try and pretend it doesn't hurt. But what I am saying is you do have a choice about how much you suffer. Pain is pain. It was always going to be there. But suffering, 
Suffering is what happens when whatever it is that reality is presenting to us is vastly different than what we expected. So if we can remove those expectations, in all likelihood, we'll rebound much faster from challenging situations, uh, we'll move through these things with ease and gra- with ease and grace. So, yeah, that's basically the crux of uh, today's episode. Just wanted to sort of go through again. Uh, if you're really looking, going through a tough time right now, remember practical things you can do: eat real food, you know, uh, move your body, get enough sleep, meditate, connect with people you love, get some downtime, and at the end of the day, remember. No matter what happen, what is happening for you right now, it'll go away. It'll all end. It all happened exactly the way that it was always going to. It was never going to be any different. That's just how it is. So what can you do? Just live. Be well. See you next week.